Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, everybody, I am so grateful you're here today to listen to this podcast interview. I, um, in our stake, I've, there's been a wonderful woman that has served in many capacities and her and I have rubbed elbows in all different, uh, callings and her name is Nancy Jones and Nancy recently retired from education. And so I was at a conference, women's conference, and I asked her if she would be willing to come onto the podcast and share with all of you how she, as an educator, how what the work that she did, how she transformed lives, um, just the wonderful things that come around education. As you know, Matt is an educator, so education is very special to my heart. And I also believe that we all have a part in education and teaching whoever we're around. So today, um, I'd like to welcome Nancy Jones to the podcast. So Nancy, welcome. Thank you, Beth. Nice to be here. Good. I'm so glad. Now I want to just, um, I'm going to have you tell them because I've got it down here in my notes, but share with them before we start diving back into the beginning, what you did for the 40 years. Um, I am a special education teacher. I have a bachelor's in special education and then a master's in early childhood special education so that I could um, work with young children and families um, as well as school age children. And so um, that's what I did for 40 years was work in different capacities in education um, with those age groups and children with special needs. Wow. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Um, share a little bit about where you about your life of growing okay. up and about your educational experience as a child and a young adult. Okay. Um, I am the oldest of six children. There's six children in my family. And um, my father was an educator, my father was an educator, he's passed many years. And so I grew up in the education field. I grew up in a small town in Nevada. It was called, there is called Bunkerville. It's kind of between Las Vegas and St. George. And my dad taught at the high school. We had many experiences of being with him at the high school um, and participating. He was a high school ag teacher. And so he did a lot of after school kind of activities that we were able to participate in with him. So I grew up around people who were um, in education. When, when I was about 11, my father decided to get his PhD. So we left our confinement of a small town, you know, 500 people kind of thing, and moved to Columbus, Ohio. He got his doctorate at Ohio State. So he moved five children. My mother was pregnant, so had the six there. And that really changed my world because I was used to a small town and I got a bigger perspective by moving to Ohio, Columbus. And this was kind of the end of some of the riots and different things that were happening, you know, there in the 70s. So it was a big eye opening. But my dad got his doctorate. We then moved back to Nevada. So we moved to Las Vegas. And that's where my family stayed was Las Vegas. My dad taught there or actually worked in administration at that point. And so I grew up, my childhood was in a small town, but then my teenage years were in Las Vegas. And so that's where I was. Um, My family you know, 
LDS. And so my, I grew up in the gospel and had experiences that way um, with my family. Did you know when you were, you know, in middle school, high school that you wanted to be a teacher or were you just like, I'm not sure what I want to do? No, I I was fortunate that I was 12 years old. I remember it very distinctly. We lived in Ohio at the time. I was 12 years old and I watched a movie. It was an old Judy Garland movie called A Child Cries in the Night. And she was a music therapist, actually, at a uh, institution for children with disabilities, all ages. And I thought, that looks like a fun job. And so that was when I decided I was 12. And so, um, you know, I wasn't like some that have to kind of find that path of career. It was there was, it was there for me. And through my high school time, I got experiences, um, working with children with both with and without disabilities. I, I was very fortunate in Las Vegas to have a psychology teacher in high school who provided opportunities for kids to, I worked at an elementary school for a semester as like, you know, got released to go like one class a day, Mm -hmm. or I don't know if it was one of those every other day kind of schedules, but uh, went to elementary school and did that for a semester. I did worked at a school for deaf children for a semester and also at a um, self-contained school for just kids with disabilities. So I had those experiences in high school that kind of solidified that I was on the right path and that I, um, I could do that work. I enjoyed it. And so that, that helped me to then when I went to college to get right into my bachelor's in special education. So, um, as a teenager, I find it cause I, I noticed there are certain p- youth that are really, really good with children with special needs. Did you notice in yourself a gift that you had as a child? Um, you know, I think part of that was being the oldest. I took care of lots of fam, you know, my siblings and I babysat from the time I was 10 years old. So I was always around children and helping with children. Um, I enjoy, like in high school, I enjoyed those practicum experiences that I had and felt like I was good at it. Um, my patriarchal blessing tells me that I will work with children and, and um, influence them for good. So I had a number of places that helped me to know that that was the right thing for me. For you. Did you have a teacher in your life that influenced you for good? In middle school or high school or even elementary school? Yeah, I had a lot of good teachers, but I think the one that most influenced me was my high school psychology teacher. His name was Mr. Piggott, and he was loved by many. And he, you know, along with teaching psychology, he, we had a club that was, um, there's a uh, organization called Council for Exceptional Children. That's a professional, you know, professional group. And then there was a student organization. So he, he, we had a club that was student um, organization for kids with exceptional uh, or council for exceptional children. So I got, he, you know, I got involved with that through him. And um, he, he just was, he just was a caring person and you felt like he thought you were, you know, the best thing in the world. And um, so I would say he was a big influence for my education or going into education along with many others. Oh, um, tell, so when you made your decision to go to college, where did you decide to go? I first, well, I was living in Las Vegas. So I first went to, uh, Reno to university of Nevada, Reno, and I just went there for a semester and then decided mm, it's expensive. I was conscious that my family didn't have a lot of money and stuff. So I 
and other things were happening. So I thought, I'm going to go back to Vegas and live at home and go to the uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And so I did that for a year, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't meeting my need. It was a good program, but it wasn't meeting my social and emotional kind of needs to be at home and to do that. So then I looked around and I ended up going to Utah State because they had one of the best um, special education programs. And so that's what I was looking for. So I went to Logan and that's where I graduated from was in Logan and got my bachelor's at Logan. And then you know, career-wise, I stayed in Utah, worked for five years, and then was ready to go get my master's, and I went to Eugene. So that's how I ended up in the Northwest, was getting a master's at U of O. At the U of O. Oh, yeah. okay. I want to talk about that, but, but I want to go back for a second. Um, okay. When you decided to move to Utah, to Logan, to go uh-huh. to Utah State, how did it affect your parents? Were they excited for you? Were they sad because their oldest child was leaving? What, what did you, what did you see your parents? Feeling? Um, you know, I, I'm a very independent girl. <laughs> when, when I was dating my husband and he asked my mom what I was like, she said, she always had a mind of her own. And that is true to this day. So when I was kind of deciding, I kept it to myself, you know, that I was, what I was applying for, I didn't get their advice or anything. Cause I knew what I wanted. And so you know, they were surprised when I said, uh, I got accepted to <laughs> Logan and I'm going away to school, but they were very supportive. They knew, you know, they knew it was important to me. And, um, they always, they always supported me, whether it was emotionally or financially or in any way that they could. So th- they were excited. They took me there, you know, drove me there to Logan and, um, they were happy. And how was you, how would you, um, how would you say your experience at the at Utah State was? Did you develop some really good friendships that you still have today? And how did you feel that the classes that were provided to you, did they fulfill for you what you were anticipating? Yeah, um, it was a really good experience. I enjoyed Logan a lot. You know, Logan was kind of fit Logan. And then the places I've gone since that size of town is what I found that I really like. Um, I like living near big cities, but not in the big city. That's kind of why Gresham really attracts me because it's near Portland. I can get there. Logan to me was like that. If I needed something really big, it wasn't that far from Salt Lake City. So um, that fit me really well. I felt like the classes I took both, you know, in education and then other things to round out my education, they were what I wanted. They, um, at Logan at the time that I was there, there was a, what they called a demonstration school. So there was a, um, um, a connected to the college, there was a school for children with special needs. And that's where we got to do our practicum work. And um, we spent a lot of time in that building there, get, getting experience. And then, you know, uh, there was both a regular education component and then a special education component there. So I got a little taste of both of those things. So when you got, did you, you said you worked for five years before she, you went to, to move to the U of O uh-huh. what, what did you do in those five years? Where did you go? Uh, I stayed in Utah. I got a job in Farmington, um, Utah. So there was a, at the time there was, it was kind of pre-inclusive education. So there was a school for children with special needs from preschool to 18, 21. They could stay 21 if they wanted to. So I worked at that school in Farmington. 
for five years. And I prim I did three years um, in the preschool. That was kind of, my love was the younger, younger kids. So um, I had the opportunity to do my student teaching in um, Jordan Valley at a preschool in, in Utah. So then um, when I started working, I taught the preschool for three years. And then I did two years of school age children with special needs at that same school. So there were, I had a classroom of kids who were probably five to 10, but they had severe disabilities. Um, so they weren't the kids that were most profoundly involved, but kind of the next step up. So I kind of say, you know, they could walk, but they didn't talk or they didn't have the cognitive ability to do some of that, or the, um, the, some, some of those things. So we worked a lot on, you know, communication and daily living skills, that kind of stuff. Did you have um, assistance with you, classroom assistance? Mm -hmm. I always had <clears throat> at least two, three, depending on the class size that I had. I had assistants who worked with me um, so that we could give the children some one-on-one -on -one attention that they needed to help learn skills. Um, and though, you know, when you say like college relationships and people that kept in my life, I that part of college, I haven't kept, I mean, I did for many years, but now you know, it's been a long time since that bachelor's. I haven't really kept in touch with many people from that, but my assistance from those first five years um, in, in teaching, I still keep in touch with them. You know, they were so important. You know, I, it, it was kind of funny because I was young, 21 year old teacher and here were these women, you know, they were much older than me. And that was a new thing trying to tell women what to do. You know, I was the teacher. I was supposed to be the one in charge and had to give them assignments, but yet they were as old as my mother, some of them, you know, <laughs> not all of them, but some of them were. So that was a new learning curve for me to learn how to do that. But they were just wonderful and, you know, so um, supportive of me and helpful to me when I was learning to be a teacher. Um, did I know because Matt and I've talked a lot about teaching and how critical the first year and specifically the first three years of, yeah. as a teacher, because it's kind of a make or break, you know, right. if, if could you share, you know, just some of the things that you felt you you learned from those first you, you those first five years yeah. that helped you throughout the remaining 35 years? Yeah, I was very fortunate in those first um, years especially those first three years that I was at um, teaching preschool at that school, there was two of us who taught together. So we team taught. So the, the teacher that I team taught with, she wasn't very much older than me, but she'd been teaching a few years. So I was a, she was mentored me. She mentored me and was a big help to me. And that was, that really helped me to gain confidence and um, skills that I needed. Um, and then just other people, you know, in special education as a teacher, you always have a speech therapist, a physical therapist, occupational therapist, other people that you work with. And so again, those people supported me and helped me learn. So I felt like um, if I didn't have an answer, I knew who to go to. And then in, in teaching preschool, the parents were in, very much involved. And so, you know, preschool was they brought their children to school. So I saw them all the time. And at that time in our preschool, it was, it was within the school, so I was hired by the school district, but it was funded by a grant that for them was under the um, family service, Department of Human Services or Family Services. And so they had requirements that the parents had to volunteer in the classroom one day a week so that they it gave us extra help, but it also helped them to know what 
kinds of things their children were learning so that they could carry them on at home. So along with my assistants being older than me, you know, I had these mothers who I was working with and, and some fathers that I was working with on a daily basis, telling them what to do. But I learned so much to, from them. And that's where I gained my love for working with young children because it involved working with families. And I love working with the families because I, I recognize that as young children, you're not just a little entity. You're part of this bigger unit, the family. And so if you can support the family, that helps the child. So it, I learned from all of them. Do you have a memory of a child that you could share with us that was touching to you or changed you? Um, oh, there were so many wonderful children in those preschool years and, and parents. I, one, I can think of many, but one friend, um, her daughter would, has Down syndrome. And she was, when I first started teaching, was her first year of our preschool. And she wasn't I don't think she was even quite three yet, even though most of the children was three. It seemed like she was not quite three. So um, her mom and I became really good friends. And so I was able to not only see her um, in my class and watch how she developed, but um, I saw them, you know, socially, they kind of helped me being alone away from my family. They included me in their family. So that, and, and my friend, she went on to, um, work in advocacy for people with special needs and stuff. So it was fun to watch her grow and her, you know, develop a career based upon having this child that she needed to advocate for. Um, so that was one that was fun. And I, you know, we had um, children in our, in our classroom who their parents couldn't care for them because of various reasons. So they lived in a nursing home, um, like was for adults, but they had this little children's wing. And so there was I remember two two specific little guys from that that they had some parent helpers that weren't their parents, but they would bring them to school every every day. And um, I just saw the love that those people had for these children, and I developed that love for them too. The these children that um, for whatever reason their parents couldn't take care of them. Um, they had a you know they had quite a bit of needs. Um, physical and, and health needs. And it was just difficult. So that was special. I did also, I just thought of these, I had brushed with fame in 1980. I think it was 80, maybe it was late seventies. No, 1980s. There were Siamese twins that were born in Utah with conjoined at the head and they were in our, you know, they had uh, been uh, surgically separated, separated. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. and they were in our preschool so I um I had some celebrities <laughs> in, our, in our in my midst <laughs> oh that's wonderful um did you did you know that you wanted to leave and go get your master's or did something happen that said this is what I'm going to go do right now and I'm going to move to Oregon like how did no. that whole transpire no, I always knew that I wanted to get a master, you know, getting a bachelor's. I knew I would want more education, but I, I have watched some people go right from bachelor's to master's. And I thought that's not for me. I want to know what I need to know. Um, so I wanted that experience of those um, years. And I, I didn't have them in my mind, whether it would be three years, five years, what it was. It just it just turned out to be five years. Um, so I did three years of you know, the preschool and then did two years of school age. And while I was doing that school age um, 
special education, I had the opportunity, our school became a satellite training program for actually a program that was out of Monmouth um, in, in Oregon in, there. In Western, from, the, from yeah, Western? from that college. Mm-hmm. It was teaching research and they were, it was a model of, of special education for young kids. And we at our school did training and I had a demonstration classroom. So I went, did training at Monmouth and got some other training from uh, people who at my school who had been trained. And I, um, you know, so I did that for two years. And so I think that helped me to say, okay, you're ready. You're ready to go on and get your master's. And um, I chose Eugene again, like I did Logan because of the program. They had a good reputation. They had um, Diane Bricker, who was the head of the department, had was renowned you know, in the field in early childhood special education. And I wanted to study with her. And I looked at like Arizona and, and Eugene, but I love the rain. <laughs> so I, I chose what? here. <laughs> you know, I grew up in the desert and it has its beauty, but it's, it's for somebody else. Um, I love the rain and the green. And so I chose Eugene over Arizona um, for graduate school. So when you moved to Eugene, did you have a family or were you single? I was single. I was all by myself and I knew nobody, um, you know, in Eugene or in my graduate program. I just packed up my little car and drove up to Eugene and got going and just, I met wonderful people. Um, what ward were you in? <laughs> the student, there was a student ward we met over at the Institute. Yes. And, yes. Um, I met, um, I was... <laughs> I wasn't on like the Institute Council, but they had a lunch uh, every Friday at a lunch and I was on that committee. So, I, you know, that was my involvement in there. And then I became actually um, in the ward. I was a counselor in the Relief Society president, Nor- uh, Nedra. Oh, gosh, I can't remember her last name now. Anyway, she was the, she was the, she was a Relief Society president. So they drew uh, women from the stake, older women from the stake to be the president you know, of the Relief Society and then students were her counselors. So I was one of her counselors. And um, yeah. So and did you live in Eugene for two years, Nancy? Uh huh. I lived in Eugene. I lived first on the, you know, on campus for the first year as I was there. And then I moved just across the street in a little studio apartment second year. So what did you learn during those two years at the U of O? What did that teach you? Um, along with the, well, first of all, it taught me that I loved working with families because that's, again, that's, that was the emphasis of working with families. <clears throat> and I also learned that I enjoyed some, at some level working with um, academic kind of things, you know, at the college, teaching at the college level. I had the opportunity during my second year that I was there to be, to work um, for the department. And I was over um, a portion of the practicum students who worked in the demonstration classroom. I did some, um, you know, um, observations of them and taught some little classes and stuff as part of my program. So um, I learned that I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that academic um, learning and teaching and that kind of thing. So I learned that. yeah, those were, I would say those were two big things. That the I two learned. big things. Did they ever have you go to any of the local schools or um, any other training areas, any other universities to learn Not more? Not specifically with that, um, uh, with my job or anything. I it kind of just stayed within the college or, or university, but I did have an opportunity. One, one of my um, 
can't remember if she was a doctoral student at the time or if she was working at the time, but she taught as I, while I was going to graduate school. So, and that's one of the things that actually I did learn there. Um, Diane Bricker was very much into helping students learn how to um, teach at, at an academic level and gave you opportunities. So she didn't give me that one, but one of her students did because they learned that from her. Um, and I think, um, I think that's a great, great way to learn is giving, being given those opportunities. Opportunities. Yeah. yeah. So when you finished your master's, did you have an idea of where you wanted to go next? I want, I knew I wanted to stay in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so I looked, I interviewed for a job up in Kent, Washington, um, which they offered me, but it was at a private, um, what do you call it? Nonprofit agency that worked with birth to three and the money's not as good, <laughs> even though I wanted to go, I wanted to work with that work there because one of the, uh, actually that's not true. That was after, that was after I came back from Africa. That was a different time. I ended up just interviewing with Olympia. I, so I worked in uh, Olympia, Washington after graduate school. So I interviewed up there and they offered me the job when I was interviewing. And I actually went up just to ask them questions. I didn't even feel like I was going up to interview for a job. I was like, I want to come go and learn about their program. And they ended up offering me a job. And I was like, uh, let me, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Cause I was like, uh, I don't know. This wasn't, wasn't what I was really thinking. I was just kind of wanted to see about your program, but I, um, you know, I, I did after I thought about it and um, decided what I wanted. I knew that that was a good place. Again, Olympia is smaller town, but near Seattle, you know, near Portland. So it was the right fit for me as far as a town was concerned. And um, the school district, the woman who was over the early childhood program, again, was very, um, she was a graduate from UW in special education, early childhood, you know, it had her PhD from there and was um, written in the research. And, you know, so I knew it was run by somebody who knew what they were doing and had, uh, would be really good for the program. And so I knew, I felt like it was a good program to be connected with. And it was, it was a great program. How long did you stay there? I stayed there five years and I, I loved, I did preschool the whole time I was there birth, um, well, that's not true. I did. I didn't do preschool. I did birth to three. So I moved from before graduate school. I did preschool. After graduate school, I focused on birth to three, which is a home-based program. So that was when I, you know, because I really loved working the family. So that's when I started working. Like I would have a child with a, a disability, and I would work with the child and their parents in the home and give them. Um, like, here's what he needs to work on. Here are some ideas of how to do that. And they would work on that for the week. And then I'd go back the next week and we'd see how they were doing. Did I need to refine that? Did I need to give them more information? And um, so I did that for the five years. And what did you decide to do after those five years? You know, I loved, I loved Olympia. I loved the work I was doing, but I was felt like I was getting a little bit burned out towards those five years in that I had I had hard kids and hard families and you, I took it on like, I got to fix this for them. And you can't, <laughs> I learned that, you know, that, and especially I think I had kids who were in foster care or their parents were involved with DHS and it was hard. It was sad to see. And um, 
I wanted to fix it and I couldn't always fix it, you know? And so I felt like I was getting a little bit um, burned out of what I was doing. So I knew I needed a change. And at the time I worked at an elementary school that was, in my opinion, was one of the best. It was a small elementary school. We just had one grade of, of each, uh, one class of each grade. And um, our special ed, the early childhood special ed and the, and the school age special ed were a part of the school. We, we were a part of that staff, that principal thought of us just as all of his other teachers. It wasn't like we were separate, which some schools, that's the way it feels special education is separate from the school. But um, the principal, Mr. Bird, he was phenomenal. And I phenomenal. And I think it was because he had a background a little bit in special education. special education. And so he was able to be inclusive with us. And Mr. Bird, he had been in the Peace Corps when he and his wife were young. And he talked to, and you know, this was 30 years later, I'm sure. And they, he talked about it all the time, that experience and brought it up at staff meeting and just in discussion, I thought, wow, that's something that really affects your life. And so I started looking into it and I um, went to up to Seattle to a presentation and I thought, mm, no, there's snakes. <laughs> no, I thought of all the things why I couldn't do that, couldn't go teach in the Peace Corps. And, but then I just kept thinking about it. I was like, I think I could do that. And so I, I kept answering all the whys, why I couldn't. I kept finding solutions to those, why I can't do this. And finally applied during my fifth year, you know, during that fifth year that I was teaching, I applied to the Peace Corps. And it's a process. It's a lot, quite a long process. There's a lot to do to get in. And I was accepted and um, I ended up teaching in Kenya, in East Africa. And I ended up teaching in a school for deaf children, which was different than what I was trained to do. But I taught, you know, I knew some sign language and I've been around children who were deaf. And so that's the Peace Corps. They don't they place you where they need you and they think you have enough skill to to make an in, uh, impact. And so I was placed at a school for deaf children and I loved it. I um, how old were you? How old were you, Nancy? I was I didn't give, I was single. I was 30, I think I was around 34 because I, around 35 because I, yeah, 34, 35, right in there because I, I had, was in my 30s when I was in Olympia. What was the name of the town you were in in Kenya? I, I taught in a town called uh, um, Kibarani. It's on the coast. So Mombasa is the big city that was near where I was. So and that was about, a, I would say, an hour drive from where I was. Um, so my house was in a little village called Nurani, And I had a house there. And then I'd walk to school. For me, it was a very visual <laughs> picture of, you know, what I visioned Peace Corps would be like. You know, here's this white woman, you know, walking along to school, riding my bike to school, those kinds of things. It was very much what I romanticized, I think, of what it would be like. But um, the the town, the bigger town that was where I lived was called Khalifi, and it was the county seat of that area. So there, you know, some government offices, the little hospital, all the market stuff that I would need on a daily basis was right there. And so um, my, my commute to work, if I walked, it was probably a half hour. If I rode my bike, it was 15 minutes to, to get to where my school was. And how many children did you work with? I, I taught, you know, the Kenya is, um, were, um, Brit, they had the British system. So this class that I taught was called 
infant class, and that comes from their preschool program. Uh, uh, infant class is part of the preschool program. And so it was that age group, but because it was a school for deaf children, we taught, uh, mostly the kids in my class were from age five to 10 because they, they came to school whenever somebody went out in, I call it the bush, out in the no man land, kind of, you know, where rural areas that um, didn't have schools or very many schools. So the kids, this was someone from our school would go out and do testing and find kids who had um, hearing losses. And then they would be enrolled in our school. It was a, it was a boarding school. And so I had, we had, you know, so age five to 10, but I had probably 10 to 12 kids in my class and I team taught with a Kenyan teacher. So that was kind of the the purpose of us being there in was to help train their teachers in um, sign language and working with kids, children who are deaf because the teacher that I worked with, she had taught regular preschool kind of school, but she hadn't taught, you know, until she came to that school, she hadn't taught special education or deaf children. So she and I learned because I, I had to learn Kenyan sign language. And so she and I learned it together and the children, you know, that was some of them, it's their first experience of school and first experience with a language. They were home with parents, didn't know how to sign to them. And so it was their first experience in a um, sign language. And so we taught them a lot of sign language and um, we learned, we learned it along with them. Of course, they surpassed us because it was a boarding school. And so when we went home, they stayed and they talked with their, you know, students who were been there longer than them and were had communication skills, signing skills. So it was great. Um, I want to know in regards to like your spiritual care for yourself, can you share a little bit about that as you were yeah. in Kenya and just yeah. in your life in general? Yeah, that was really interesting because when I was in um, Olympia, before I went to Kenya, my, um, my home teacher at the time, his his parents had served a mission. They, they were from Canada, I believe, and they were visiting, but they had served a mission in Kenya. It was just, the mission was just um, opening up, you know, when they open up a mission in some places, they had this couple who go and do the, the legwork of meeting with the uh, government ministries and getting it established. So his parents had done that. So I had a chance to meet them. And then whether you want to say tender mercy or coincidence, whatever you want to call it, the current mission president in Kenya was from Olympia, he and his wife. So I had those, I had that contact, contact when I went to Kenya. And so, because the church was just getting established. So it was mostly in Nairobi and I lived many hours from Nairobi. So I couldn't go to church on a weekly basis. I, I went I would say a handful of time in those two years that I was there because I would do it whenever I went to Nairobi for um, Peace Corps business or just to see friends, if I could and was there on a Sunday, I would try to go to church. Um, and, and I went to a expat ward. So it was mostly Americans or British people who were there at that ward. So, so to help myself during the rest of the time, my sweet mother would send me in the mail. She'd send me church news and the new era or the ensign. And so I had those to read to kind of keep up what was going on in the church and spiritual things. Um, I had my scriptures. I read the Book of Mormon that year, you know, during, 
during that time. So I had my scriptures, um, but that and prayer. So that was the, how I kept um, connected, I guess, with, with church things and with my spiritual side and um, had it influence me. I, I want a funny thing about living in Africa. If you, I know your son was in Africa. They, um, we, they had what was called a matatu and that was the public transportation. That's kind of like a short minibus kind of thing is what it was. It was scary. <laughs> the roads are terrible. The, you know, you felt like you were taking your life in your hand every time you got in one of those. And so prayer was my saving grace, I think, because I would get in one of those and I would say a prayer, let me arrive safely because it was scary. A lot of times, you know, they would be, um, swerving to miss a pothole and almost hit something else or or whatever you know so prayer was very important to me your life did you know that your time there was only two years or did they did you want to extend or how does that work yeah with the Peace Corps? I did I did know it was just two years I think of Peace Corps very much like a mission you have you have pre-training, which is like your MTC training. So you have pre-training where you learn language, you learn about what you're going to be teaching, you learn about the culture, and that that's about 11 weeks of that. Ours was in country, so the group that I was with were all educators from deaf education to high school math, English, and science. So there was about 30 of us in my group. So we traveled, we met together in Philadelphia, before, you know, before leaving the States, we met in Philadelphia for a few days of training, shots, different things to get us ready. Then we flew together to Kenya. And during those 11 weeks, we each lived in a different place. We lived with Kenyan families and homestays to learn. You know, I had to learn how to cook over fire. I had to learn how to wash my clothes by hand. I had to learn how to use all the, you know, the mail and different things. So the family helped me to learn some of those. But during the daytime, we would go to a little school and that's where we learned language and um, culture and, you know, me, sign language and deaf education, that kind of stuff. So that first 11 weeks, then actually it's two years from that point. So I was there 27 months because your service is after that training is two years. So I knew that. And the first year I was like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over because there's so much new and I loved it, but there's so much new and you're learning the ways that it's, it's hard. And then that second year, I was like, oh, I love this. I don't know if I want to go home. And you can ask to extend for one more year. Um, they have to, the school has to really need you to do that. You know, the program that you're in, whether it's school or something else. And so I, I didn't, I didn't pursue that, but I could have pursued one more year. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. It was. Have you ever returned there? I have actually. When I left, I was seeing, like I said, I was single. And when I left, I was like, I'm going to come back here in 10 years because I want to see what growth, because, you know, I, I wasn't just there to have fun. I was hoping to make a difference in that school. And so I wanted to go back in 10 years and see if they had made changes, not specifically what I had done for them, but just to see if they continue to progress over the years. And so in uh, 2006, I think, yeah, 2006, by then I had married my husband, Kevin, and um, he and I went back in 2006 and it was marvelous. They had changed. They had grown. Um, they had a new 
like the headmistress who was there when I was there didn't all didn't have the best reputation for being honest with the funds and things that they got and the the guy who was now principal uh, headmaster when I went he was he had been a teacher there when I was there and I knew him and he was a great um, wonderful man <clears throat> he was a good Christian I knew him we we had lunch together when I was teaching in Kenya they had a long lunch period because everybody you had to cook your lunch it wasn't like you could just take a brown bag kind of thing so they cooked lunch so there was about three or four of us who cooked lunch together and he was one of them. So I had, I spent a lot of time with him, but he was now headmaster when Kevin and I went back and he had made changes in the living situation for that boarding school, in their academics, in um, just life, life for those students. And um, it was great. It was great to see that change. And the, and the country had changed too. That was, they had made progress. You know, it was funny when I was there in the country, I always thought, this is what my mom talked about in the 1930s and stuff about, you know, washing by hand and fire and all those things. And that's, that's, I felt like I was living that time period. But when I went back in 2006, still a lot of people lived that way, but they had a cell phone. <laughs> they had cell phones. And that was remarkable because when I lived there, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers. You know, they were, they were around, but they just weren't um, plentiful in the country. And they didn't have infrastructure to to um, support all of that. And so by by that 10 years, they they did. And it made a difference for a lot of things in the country. So when did you come home from Kenya the first time? I came I was there in 93 to 95. So I started October of 93 and I came home December of 95. Did you have a job that you had applied for and that you were going to? No. So when I came back, because I came back at the end of December, so I came back in the middle of a school year. So, you know, as teachers, it's that's not as easy to get a job then. Right. So what I did was I came back and after the Christmas holiday, I went to um, I went back up to Olympia where I had taught before and I did a long term sub position. One of my friends that I had taught with was having back problems and was out. So I she and she did preschool special education. So I took her her class for her for the rest of the year. And so that was great. It kind of gave me time to kind of get readjusted and get in and back with the friends and people that I knew. And then I looked for a job while I was doing that. Then I looked for a job that would start for the next school year. And then that was how I ended up here in Olympia or in Gresham was I found the job. Um, My job when I came back here. So I started in Gresham area in August of 96. And I worked for the Multnomah ESD. Um, They did the special education and they did the early childhood special education. So that's who I started with when I came back in 1996. 1996. Uh Okay. So I do, I want to ask you about as a single woman, member of the church, growing up in a large family and knowing that your love of education was that you were working with families, right? Yeah, right how, what were some of the feelings you were experiencing as a single woman having those experiences throughout your life? Yeah. I would say they were both positive and a negative side to it. You know, for me, I think because I, I always wanted to be a mother and I love children, but that experience didn't come to me at the, at those times. And so it was really hard. There was a lot of feeling of I'm not good enough. Why am I not married and having these experiences? There were a lot of those. But then on the other side, 
I was so grateful for the career that I had because I nurtured children through my job. I'm sure a thousand children have went through my hands over those 40 years and I got to nurture them. And that was the saving grace for me during those times was knowing that. And I loved it. And I felt like I was good at it, you know, and I made good connections with families that I worked with. And um, that was that was really helpful to me to have that. Um, yeah, I would say that was it. Okay, so you you go, you start working for the um, Multnomah ESD. And how long do you stay with that? And what are the ages of the children you're working with at that point? Um, I stayed, I stayed with the ESD for, um, gosh, 20 years, maybe, or, or just a little less, but I, I didn't, I stayed with the same job, but the ESD left the program. So it's a grant, you know, the funds are grant monies. And so the ESD had the grant for it and they lost that grant at, at a point about probably eight years ago. Um, and David Douglas School District picked up the grant. So I stayed with the same program. It's called Multnomah Early Childhood Program, MECP. So I stayed with them the whole time that I was taught here in the Gresham area, but at just different, you know, two different districts that were over it. Um, and I stayed, I stayed primarily with birth to three. I had, I always did just home. I did home-based services primarily, you know, the birth to three. Sometimes I did three to five kids who were three to five who weren't in preschool, but were served, were seen at home. And then in the, my last few years, I did, um, children who were going to daycare or preschool, private daycare and preschools, I would go into those settings and work with the children and, and staff there to, to um, help them with their skills. Um, what did, what changes did you see transpire over that time frame that when you started and, and, and when to I that started, point? Yeah. You know, it's interesting over the 40 years, the biggest difference I saw was inclusion. You know, like I said, I started out in a self-contained school where if you had a disability, that's where you were taught. And um, it was all, all about that. And then slowly um, I saw more inclusion where it's like parents knew that their children had a right to education and maybe it would be helpful for them to be around children without disabilities as well to gain skills and to learn and um, to have the same opportunity. So I, that was the biggest change I would say I saw. Um, in specifically the biggest changes that I saw in my field of early childhood special education was going from that model of me coming in and just teaching and the parent watching to me going by the time I'm finishing, me going in and acting as the coach to the family, they work with their children and I say, oh, um, have you tried this? And they would try that. And so um, it changed from me doing all the hands-on to me doing more of coaching them to know how they can support their child and very much um, valuing what they already did and what they could do and, and building upon that. So those were some, I would say some of the biggest changes. Biggest changes. Mm -hmm. Can you share um, a couple stories about some children that you worked with that you saw tremendous growth or change yeah. in their lives? Um, you know, two, one instant that stands, stands out to me to, just helped me to know that what I did made a difference was 
when I was teaching in Utah that those first few years, I had a little boy in my class who um, in the preschool classroom, sweet little guy and his mom was involved. And then when I moved up to school age kids, the um, his cousin was in my classroom and they had similar disabilities. And I saw the difference from a child who had been in preschool and had some early education and, and focused on it. You know, this other little guy, his parents did great work with him, but he didn't have those um, education, you know, specific education to those developmental needs. And so that really taught me that those first years are so vital and important. And if we can intervene then, it does make a difference. Um, so that was really important to me. I, um, those first probably um, 10 years, I would say, I worked a lot with kids with severe disabilities. And I had some really kids who were very impacted with disabilities and um, involved as far as um, very limited in skills that they had. And um, those children, like, you know, one, um, one little girl that um, her mom actually was my one of my assistants when I got into the school age at, at in Utah and her little name was Melanie and she couldn't talk. She couldn't walk. She need fed all those things. She was in a wheelchair and um, I just loved her. And so I would sometimes watch her for her mother after, you know, after hours because, you know, she couldn't leave her with just anybody. And so I would watch her. And I remember one time, I, can't, I think her parents went away. It was like their anniversary or something. And, and I was watching Melanie and, and she, um, I had, a, I was in an apartment, had a swimming pool near my house and we, I would take her over there and get her in the water. And she just loved it. That was so refreshing to her to be in the water. And, you know, it helped her little limbs that she could be a little more free. And, and that was um, very special for her. Um, I can't think of really, I mean, there's so many, uh, kids over the years, but I do want to tell you the note, you know, as an educator, parents, like a lot of times, like school age, you don't get to be involved with the parents. So you don't hear them tell you that they appreciate you or whatever. I fortunately was involved with the parents a lot and did get some feedback, but I just, a, the year prior to me, um, uh, retiring, I did zoom for a year, you know, that's what's here in the pandemic time. I was on Zoom with a family and, and most of my families I had had, so I had a relationship with them because I'd met them in person, but some came on during during the uh, era of Zoom. And so it was, I was like, how am I gonna develop a relationship with somebody over Zoom, you know, that I don't know? And I'll never forget, in fact, it, I wrote it down, it's on my bulletin board right here. Um, this mom that I started with, like the second or third time I met with her, she said, I always feel better after meeting with you. And I was like, okay, I can do this Zoom thing. I can make relationships over Zoom and I, it matters what I'm doing. And I think, you, Beth, that was one of the reasons when you asked me and I was like, oh, I don't have really anything to say. I thought of that and I thought, I do have something to say. Early childhood does matter. It matters not only to the children, it matters to the families. And I think that's what I loved about my job was I did teach children skills, but I supported families who were going through a difficult time, you know, just finding out that your child has some special needs and it's not maybe what you planned on doing, um, but there's supports out there to help you with, um, with the things that they need and just 
emotional support. You know, a lot of times that's what I felt like I did for families was provide that emotional support and um, that matters. Oh yeah, for sure. Just having somebody validate you and, and help you in a process that you're struggling with as a parent, I think is so huge. Yeah. Um, what made you decide that it was time to retire? Um, I guess I just kind of knew that, you know, 62 was going to be my time (laughs) and I turned 62 and I was like, okay, I'm ready. But it was, it was the right time in that I, um, you know, things have changed and, you know, zoom and stuff. I did it for a year and it was fine. And I felt kids made progress. I, I didn't feel like they, um, lost anything. Um, but I definitely enjoy in-person teaching. Um, so as time, I saw changes in administration in my school that weren't exactly what I wanted. And so it's like, oh, okay, it's time. Um, so it just felt like the right time. And it was interesting because I didn't, I had worked 40 years and I'd worked full time. I t- worked most summers because when I was working like in Utah and in Olympia, you know, it wasn't a year round program, but I always taught summer school because I didn't have children at home. I didn't have anything I had to do. So I just taught. And um, I only remember taking off like two summers because of different things. You know, other than that, I taught year round. And then the the program here in, in Gresham, it is a year round program. So we have a year round school schedule. And um, so I was like, what am I going to do with my time? What, you know, and I, it's just my husband and I at home and it's like our grandchildren are bigger. So it's not like I need to, you know, watch little baby grandchildren. I was worried, what am I going to do and how am I going to do it? But it actually has gone pretty well. And I think part of the thinking in my part is that, all right, I gave it my all for 40 years. It's somebody else's turn to do the same. And there's good people out there. They will do that. And, um, they can do it. And so it made it easier by thinking that way. And stepping away. Yeah. So how has, um, being a part of education strengthened your testimony? Um, I guess I would say part of it is that it strengthened my testimonies that we all matter. We all have different values wherever we are and whoever we are, we all have different values and Yours may not be the same of mine, but they matter to you. And um, I think the gospel is like that, that the Savior thinks of us in that in those terms, that we're all his children. We all do things a little different, but he loves us and um, and and we're we're worth it. We're worthy of him. And we. um, Yeah, that he just loves each of us no matter what. And I saw that in education that. You know, I worked with a lot of different children, a lot of different families, and they all were doing their best. Some of it, sometimes I thought, "Mm, your best is not very good, but (laughs) they were trying their very best. And when they learned more and knew more, they did better. And that was kind of my, always kind of in my mind that they'll do better when they know more. That's so true. So my final question that I want to ask you is, how do you personally seek light now that you and Kevin are home and life is different and you're starting a different journey. How do you personally seek light? I've been thinking about this and I think for me, I seek light by trying to be, by trying to have those Christ-like qualities that, that I know my savior has. 
And one of those is service. And I think that's how I seek light each day. And I think that's part of what my education was. It was service. And that was um, how I brought light into my life. And um, now that I'm retired, that's what I continue to try to do. So I try each day. That's my prayer each day that I can find someone who needs to be lifted or needs something and to watch out for that so that I can have that light of Christ in my life. And so I've, you know, Kevin and I work at the temple one day a week, and that brings a lot of light into my life. I work with a family who's refugee, who are refugees from Afghanistan through Catholic charities. I do that. And then I try to be available to friends who might need something. So I think serving as Christ did helps bring light into my life. That's so true. Nancy, thank you so much for sharing um, your experiences with education. And I know that even if others of parents or children weren't able to communicate their gratitude for you, the work that you did is immeasurable. It's, it's a blessing to so many people and, and um, God's children on this earth. So thank you so much. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.